Welcome to the My Best Mom Friend Podcast. My name is Sandra, and I'm the virtual mom bestie you didn't know you needed. Grab a cup, make yourself comfortable, and allow me to spill the tea on motherhood. Welcome back to the My Best Mom Friend Podcast. I had the chance to sit down with Liesl from Mommy Labor Nurse. She has over half a million followers on Instagram and has fantastic birthing classes to prepare you when you're expecting. So this episode dives into just birth 101, kind of what to expect, especially if this is your first time. We talk about empowering you for your birth experience. We get into C-section awareness and touch on birth trauma as well. So I found this to be a very interesting episode and I hope that you will enjoy it. If you have any expecting mama friends, I would love it if you sent this episode their way. I think it's insightful to just really prepare and prime you for the big day. With that said, let's jump in. I'm sitting here today with Liesl from Mommy Labor Nurse. I'm so excited you're here. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I love coming on podcasts. So let's hop on and talk about labor and birth and pregnancy and whatever you want to talk about. Absolutely. Well, so you are actually still a practicing labor and delivery nurse with a huge platform on Instagram. You have a podcast all about using your experience to teach expecting moms about labor and what to expect, right? I do. Yeah. I just had a um, hospital shift yesterday. I worked till seven to three. Um, So it's nice. I kind of go there about like once a week. Um, I don't do 12s anymore. I do like and sometimes I have to do 12s, but I'll usually do like an eight hour shift or a four hour shift and shift and just kind of pop in there. But yeah, still at the bedside. I don't plan on leaving, you know, anytime soon at least. And then, yeah, I have this cool thing that I started about five years ago called mommy labor nurse, where we um, really, you know, kind of the foundation of it is we try to help people have even better births by Instagram reels and in, you know, posts and stories and, you know, story questions and the podcast and the blog and everything. Um, so yeah, it's really turned into something really special over the past five years and, and really big, which is pretty cool to be able to, you know, um, you know, what the power of the internet, I guess, holds <laughs> how far yeah. you can like reach people. So yeah, it's been a pretty fun adventure. And I love that even though you have such a huge following and I'm sure, you you know, you have your own business through that with your, um, your classes that you teach that you're still like hands on wanting to be at the hospital and doing what you love. So yeah, yeah, no, I know I see a lot of people in a similar space, like whether it's a healthcare worker, you know, they're, they're in some specialty and they kind of go away from it and do this online thing. And I think that's, you know, totally, I mean, a member on my team has, has stepped away, like, you know, I have labor and delivery nurses on my team and one of them, you know, she's stepped away to be more full-time. Um, and I think that's, you know, great. I just, it's something that I enjoy 
doing so much. So I was able to luckily find a way to kind of still incorporate it into, you know, everything I do here at Mommy Labor Nurse. But I mean, if it was just me, it would, I probably still wouldn't quit because, you know, like I still love it, but I would just be a lot busier. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know how you do it all, but it sounds like you do have a team on your side helping you, which is fantastic. They are great help. Yes. <laughs> I personally wish that I had known about your account before I gave birth two and a half years ago. Yeah, I know. it. That's what I have a lot of people say like, oh man, I wish I'd, I wish I I'd know. found this like before, you know, or I'm like 41 and a half weeks and I just, man, like I wish I could have found this yeah. a little bit sooner. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm hoping that more moms on my page and through yeah. this podcast can find you. So I will definitely link your handle and your um, birthing classes in the show yeah. notes as well as a resource. So I've been thinking for a week or two of what direction to take this podcast in. Like, do I go into a very specific topic? But I think maybe as our first conversation, it's just a little bit more um, straightforward to answer kind of common questions a first time mom may have about uh, labor and sort of what to expect. And especially because like for me personally, I felt empowered about going into labor, but also I guess now seeing all of my friends give birth, there are a lot of more like traumatic birth stories, which I think people are more vocal about talking about miscarriage and, you know, traumatic birth experiences. So I think that that can really create fear amongst, Mm -hmm. you know, first time moms that are going into labor. So I want to kind of maybe help with that or let's just jump in. So (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, I no, you were touching on 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 something like let's let's break that apart, right? Because you're right, there is um this aspect of we want people to share their stories if they're traumatic and put them out there because it's it's good to have awareness, but there's also this fine line of like doing it to where you know, you're, you're scaring people and you're putting out these traumatic, you know, stories that when you when you go in and have your own experience, you're just like terrified, right? Um, so yeah, it's a really fine balance. And that's why I try to, with my content, I'm really all about like, I'm not going to sugarcoat stuff, right? I'm not going to like sit here and tell you that everything's sunshine and butterflies and you know, everything. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like, I want to do it in a way that you're not like, I want to educate you about a postpartum hemorrhage, for example, without like showing you a bunch of pictures of all this stuff and saying like, this is, you know, this is a story of some girl who, you know, went through this and it was really horrible. I want to equip you with the tools that if it did happen to you, like, this is how you handle this situation. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's really tricky. And I've talked to people um, who have like differing opinions on this, like, well, if I could at least, you know, share, like I've talked to people who have been through, uh, it's called an amniotic fluid embolism, like really, really rare thing that can happen during birth. It's really, really scary and has a really high death rate. And her whole thing is like, well, you're right. Probably scare a lot of people, but if I can help one person by her knowing like some of the signs and symptoms to look out for, like, and I help save her life, like that's worth it to me sort of thing. So it's tough. It's really tough because you don't want to scare everyone away, right? With all of the these traumatic births, like, it, you know, you go over to your, one of your friend's house and they're talking about how they had a fourth degree tear and you're like, oh my God, I don't want to hear this. Like stop right. talking. But also like, 
it would probably benefit you to hear about how how it was and how the recovery was. And, you know, maybe it's just taking a different approach with how we communicate things. Um, and I think I, I tr- like I said, I try to try to hone in on that and mommy labor nurse and really, you know, I never want to scare anybody. That's I, I want to make you less scared. <laughs> right. You know? Right. I mean, and it's the same with my just generalized like motherhood mm-hmm. content of mm-hmm. like every now and then you see a comment right. like, oh, you're scaring moms by being so honest. But then right. most moms are like, wow, I wish I had known. Yeah. Whether it's like postpartum, what that's really like or how hard motherhood can be for so many reasons. Yeah, you're right. You don't want to stop talking about the real, right? Because like people are saying, I, you know, I also was getting no sleep when I was, you know, first, um, uh, first time mom. And it is really hard and you want people to relate to and feel like you're not alone. Um, but you also want to talk about like how great it is when you first, you know, meet your baby and like how great it is when you wake up and your baby's just like sitting there smiling at you and all the good moments. So, um, you know, maybe that's the solution. We just inject a lot of positivity, but still keep it real. It's it's a hard it's a hard balance, though. I would agree. It is a balance, but I can tell you. So before we like really jump in, I'll just tell you this. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how often moms like once you lay that baby on their chest after like a vaginal birth and pushing and pushing for hours if the reaction is always like you see in the movies where they're just like crying out of bliss and joy because I can tell you (laughs) my personal reaction so I'm like so grossed out by blood Mm -hmm. and they lay my son on my chest and the first words out of my mouth were ew (laughs) and is he okay yeah and then like slowly a couple hours later like more of that bliss kind of like you know filled in for me but at first I was like oh my gosh like I'm already a bad mom you know like how could I say that but he was like covered in blood and like all that gooey stuff that yeah yeah no that you're not you're definitely not alone in that not everyone has that like immediate oh my god I don't care what's all over you and I just love you so much and blah 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 blah. you know no no that's very it's actually very normal to um you know not react like that I would say um, maybe not half and half but yeah I mean it and look at what just what you just went through this birth experience and like all of a sudden you're expected to just be like joyous happy you know it yeah of course like Sometimes some people are going to be either grossed out or just, you know, overwhelmed to the point where I can't say anything and I'm kind of frozen. Um, But yeah, I think that's really good to bring up because a lot of times um, when people experience that, they do feel like they're alone. Yeah. So it's normal to not immediately have rainbows and butterflies walking around in the delivery room. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's great if it happens and, and you experience it. Like I definitely experienced that with my first one. My second one, definitely not as much. Like I was a little bit, you know, almost like a shell shocked, you know, feeling. Um, but yeah, definitely normal. Definitely normal. Okay. Good to hear. (laughs) So I guess let's jump in. I'm sure one of the biggest questions expecting moms have is how do I actually know when I'm in labor versus like the Braxton Hicks, like practice contractions and my usual response. And obviously I want to hear it from, from your side, like the technical things and the symptoms and signs, but I'm always like, you know, when you were dating and you all, like, I would always Mm -hmm. ask people like, how do I really know when he's the one? And they're like, you just know. And that's like how I feel (laughs) about birth, like labor. I was like, 
because I kept wondering when I had Braxton Hicks, like we went in at 36 weeks because they were five minutes apart and they were like, no, this isn't the real thing. Mm -hmm. And then you have the real thing. And I was like, oh, like, yes, you do know. But then you hear stories of people that like don't make it to the hospital because they don't realize they're in labor. So tell Mm -hmm. us truly like, yeah, yeah, I know. That's a good analogy. I like that. I might steal that for like a real, a real idea and tag you and be like, I heard the heard it on Sandra's podcast. We were talking about this analogy. Um, but no, that's a great, that's a great way to put it because you're right. It's like you, sometimes at the end you'll have contractions that are, you know, they're either false labor or sometimes people have these things called, you know, it's called prodromal labor where you are in, you know, you're having painful contractions and they are hurting you and it feels like early labor, but it's not really doing anything to your cervix. And then you come into the hospital and, you know, you're not dilated at all or you're not changed or anything. And it can be really frustrating for people because it's like, wait a second, like I'm, I'm hurting, you know, what's going on? And I feel like I'm in labor. Um, and usually prodromal labor, just size, side tangent, prodromal labor is because babies just not quite like their head just quite isn't hitting that right spot. So they kind of just have to, usually what happens is they either just turn on them, you know, by themselves, or maybe they kind of disengage a little bit and then turn on, turn their heads a little bit and get that good pressure on that cervix to really start labor. But yeah, it's really common to have not even Braxton Hicks, because I think when I describe Braxton Hicks, it's more of an uncomfortable tightening of your uterus and you kind of get tight up here. A lot of people say it's like, oh, I felt like the baby balled up in there, you know, really tight. And sometimes people do have a little bit of cramping down below, but I would say Braxton Hicks, I would describe as more they're uncomfortable. They're not um, like super painful. Okay. And you can definitely have, you know, Braxton Hicks, they start, they can start in like the second trimester is always the second trimester. Um, and you can have them all the way up until, you know, labor starts, but there is this like kind of phenomenon or thing that happens as you get closer to labor that your body kind of has these, like I call them practice contractions where you're not quite in labor yet, but they are kind of hurting, but they're not quite in this pattern yet. Okay. And that's really the big difference between regular, you know, we are in, we are in the labor, right. Versus like, we're, we're just having these weird practice contractions is regular labor. They do start to follow a pattern and they are not, they're not going away. (laughs) Maybe there's, maybe there are some things that you can do to make them a little bit easier. You know, you get in the bath and you're moving around or, um, you get some pain medicine at the hot, you know, something like that, but it's not, it's not going away, you know? These other contractions, they, you know, like I said, they happen kind of at the end and they're, you know, 10 minutes and then three minutes, you'll have some of that are four or five minutes apart. And you're like, what's going on? Am I in labor? Am I not in labor? And that's the same thing I usually tell to people is like most people, 99% of people, if you're saying, you're wondering, am I in labor right now? You're probably not in labor. Right. Um, But I will say I've had a girl on my, she's, I know her in like in real life, um, but I've had her on my podcast and she told her birth story and she truly did not know she was in labor until like really the very end. And she ended up having her baby in the car and that does happen occasionally, but it's pretty rare. And I would say both times with mine, for sure, I had those kind of weirdo contractions and I'm a nurse and like, I do this and I know, you know, what is going on. And I still was questioning, like, am I like, is this really what's going on right now? But both times, guess what? When I was actually in labor, I was like, "Mm -mm, no question. Yeah. This is what's going on right now. (laughs) Yeah. 
though. It's I mean, tough it's, though. It's exactly like it's knowing tough. someone's the one, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. You don't even ask. You just kind of know. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay. So yeah, that's interesting. So by the time that I hit three centimeters, I like couldn't even walk anymore. Yeah. I don't know if that's normal, Aww. but like I got my membrane yeah. swept. I was uh-huh. like one and a half, one centimeter, maybe when I went into the um OB's office that morning and mm-hmm. they did the thing that they do and then they were like okay you're at three you can go ahead and go over to the hospital and then my husband and I quickly grabbed some food because they were like you need to eat because once yeah. you admit it you cannot eat so we ran and got Panera and like try to eat it in the car super fast like it was too many nerves too much you know feeling the yeah. contractions and then by the time we got there he literally had to put me in a wheelchair because suddenly the pain was like yeah. so bad that I it like took my breath away. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like labor. <laughs> Usually what I tell people too, is they always ask, um, you know, how far apart do they need to be? And you know what, like truly, like when do I go to the hospital? What kind of guidelines do I follow? And I tell people loosely follow that 411, or sometimes they even do 511, but it's more 411. You're having contractions and they're about four minutes, you know, apart. And they've been lasting for, you know, been having this for at least an hour now. And they're about, you know, at least one minute long, 60 seconds long. And that's a pretty good indication that, you know, you're, you're going into labor. Um, And I always give that with a, with a little, you know, grain of salt and say, okay, that's, that's a loose guideline um, because that still can be very, very early labor for some people. But also if we just totally followed that rule, there are definitely some people who have four or five minutes contractions and they are really taking their, you know, their breath away and they're really working through them. And if they had waited until they were any closer than that 411, they would be having their babies in the car. So you kind of have to rely more on the intensity and how you're kind of feeling in your head. Are you feeling like, you know, this is the real thing or it's, or I'm still kind of wondering, don't rely as much. Like if you're like, I am in labor and you're not quite at that 411, like it hasn't been quite an hour yet. You're, you're probably in labor. You, you you know, you probably know. Um, So yeah, that's what I usually tell people is the intensity really does matter how um, your mood is. So early labor, I have this like funny picture that I haven't posted actually in a while. I should, I should pull that up um, again and post on Instagram again, but I have a funny picture of like facial expressions for early labor versus active labor versus transition. And, you know, early labor, you're like, okay, you know, you can, if someone tells you a joke, you can like laugh at the joke, you know, you're like, okay, yay, I'm in labor. Like this, mm-hmm. this is hurting. Like I'm, I'm, I'm starting to breathe through them, but like, I still have a sound mind. Everything's, you know, I can still laugh at people's jokes, active labor jokes are starting to not be so funny anymore. <laughs> like you're just, I really have to use all my concentration to work through these contractions and like, let's just go. And I'm starting to, you know, feel like I have to constantly move around and I, you know, things are not, my mood is, has shifted. And then transitional labor is even kind of far shifted where you don't, I mean, don't, don't tell me jokes unless they are going to help me get this baby out sort of thing. (laughs) Um, And you kind of might say things that are outlandish or, you know, you're cursing if you're not a cursor or you're just kind of like a little bit wild out of your mind. And that's completely normal. And a lot of people, you know, get like that towards the very end if they don't have epidurals. Um, It's called transition. And that's more of, you know, the three pictures is like, you know, you're kind of like, I'm smiling, going on in transition. 
screen picture and then active labor, you're like, no, this is not funny. And then transitional labor, you know, like your eyes are like, oh my God, I can't do it anymore. So yeah, I can't remember why I started to talk about that because you were talking about you were three centimeters and it was already yeah. hurting. Um, and that's totally normal too. The centimeters also, that's another thing to bring up is that's not necessarily a great indicator of labor too. You know, we say like, okay, you know, four-ish centimeters, you can get admitted. But like you, a lot of people, they're three centimeters and they, they're in labor. You can We can go ahead and admit you, you're in labor. Other people, they come in, they're four, even five, five centimeters and they're kind of not, you know, they're having some contractions, but they're not in like full-blown labor yet. So it's, it's really, really dependent on your mood and your <laughs> labor pattern, so many other things, but that's yeah. a good rule to follow. Um, what we kind of started off with, of if you know that if you don't, if you're questioning, if it's the one, it's probably not the one. If you aren't, then it's probably the one. <laughs> right. But I think it's nerve wracking, especially for a first time on, maybe not so much a second time around. I can't speak to that because I've only had yeah. one, but yeah, I guess like it's always okay to call like your OB's office, right? Yes. Just talk through how you're feeling your symptoms and, or even go in there. Sometimes I'll say, just come on in and let's like take a look. And yeah. 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 We always encourage people, you know, if you're having regular contractions and you're questioning if you're in labor and they're not really going away, right. Um, Come in. If you feel like your water's broken, definitely come in. And this is regardless of if you're term or you're not term, we want you to come in if you're having contractions or you feel like your water's broken if you're preterm. Um, so definitely follow those two. And then if you're having any bleeding, you know, is, you, you know, we don't want you to be bleeding during your pregnancy, even towards the end, uh, come in for that. And then if you're not feeling your baby move around, that's also a good indicator to come in to, you know, get it checked, you know, get everything checked out, make sure baby's okay. But yeah, that's what we always tell people to do. If you feel like you're in labor and your provider's office is open, you know, give them a call. And they usually, if it, if they're open and they can get you in really quickly, they usually can, cause they kind of leave appointments lots open for, for people right at the end, like, just like this. But, um, if they can get you in, they'll check you in the office and save you a hospital trip. Um, and if, you know, if it's deemed that your water did broke, you know, break, then they'll send you off to the hospital. If not, you know, we'll go home and we'll keep waiting for things to happen. So, um, also let's talk about uh, birth plans and like the general process, like when you first get to the hospital. So I, like, I know birth plans are really nice to have. It's nice mm-hmm. to sort of visualize like what you want your birth experience to be, but it's super important to remember to be flexible that things yes. can change that, yes, you know, from one moment to the next, something drastic could, could happen or change. And that you have to be flexible because that's the one thing I always say is with motherhood, like expectations are like the thief of joy. I think that's what I say. Oh yeah. And I realized that starts with pregnancy and going into birth and labor, just be open to being flexible. So I guess maybe talk a little bit about, you know, having a birth plan and what happens when you first go into the hospital. We love birth plans here at mommy labor nurse. We have a nice little template over on our site that you can download for free. I think it's just mommylabornurse.com slash birth plan, one word. But yeah, we love birth plans and we also love the flexibility aspect of them too. So I wish they honestly weren't even referred to as like plans because that almost sets the tone of these, these expectations of what's going to happen. Um, so usually, you know, the advice that I give when I talk about birth plans is go ahead and, you know, start thinking about what you want to put on it. 
that I, that's why I tell people to um, download, whether it's mine or somebody else's te template. So you kind of get an idea of what, what we tell people is kind of use a guide. You know, if you really have no idea what you want for your birth, when you, you know, picture it in your head, but really the more important thing that you should do is go and talk to your provider about some of these things, because it's, it's one thing to, you know, show up to the hot, you know, have a conversation with your provider and, and then have your birth plan, you know, come in and hand it to your nurse. We are all on the same page. It's another thing to write this whole birth plan, right? Even if you did have a template, uh, and then just, you know, come into the hospital and we, you know, it's not really meeting the, you know, maybe you were thinking about going a lot more natural and unmedicated, you know, doing some things like, like what, you know, water therapy, that kind of thing. And you show up and it's, they're not prepared for those sorts of things. It's, mm -hmm. it's a hospital that's a lot, you know, more medicated or, or whatever. Um, so it's, it's a really good way to kind of spark conversation with your provider. And I encourage people to do that even more so than just to, write out a birth plan. Like if you are like, I'm not going to do, you know, I don't want, cause some people are like, man, eh, I'm not going to write a birth plan. Um, instead, if you're, if you're that mindset, have a conversation with your provider at one of your prenatal visits and just kind of say, Hey, this is, this is what I was kind of envisioning for my birth. Um, can you, can you meet these expectations? And then that might spark some more questions and then you guys can kind of get on the same page. So yeah, it's about having a, a plan or, you know, kind of having ideas in your head of what it's going to look like, but also knowing that sometimes we can't meet every, you know, every point. Sometimes we can't, you know, no points, no points will be met, right? We don't want that to happen. We want to adhere as closely as we can to your birth plan, what you expect your your birth to be like. But um, yeah, there's always that flexibility aspect that you need to kind of keep in the back of your head of, okay, I want these things to happen, but you know, we can't, a lot of things we can't control about labor. Right. And that's just the nature of it, you know? Right. But I think it's also good to, you know, have the conversation with your partner about your birth plan and yes. what your wishes are. Like, you know, if you can make them happen, because if you're, you know, in a different place while you're in labor, right, it's good that they can advocate for you and kind of know certain things yes. that you wanted or, you know, would like to have happen. So yeah, love the partner aspect. We definitely encourage that too, of sitting down and actually writing out your birth plan with your partner. Cause that gets you guys to have the conversations too. Like maybe your partner was totally unaware that you're really planning on getting an epidural and you don't want to, you know, do, you know, really have much pain at all. Or, and it's like, Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. So it just kind of gets you, gets you to start having conversations, whether it's with your provider or, you know, whether it's with your partner. So more communication, the better. Yep. Agreed. So, okay. So when you go into the hospital, um, I remember I, you, you first go into triage, they check everything, they hook you up and then, uh, maybe they already give you some medication if you're in pain and requesting that. And then once the room is ready, you go to the room and then I guess, tell us like a little bit just for first time yeah. moms, what to expect. Yeah. So the admission process, sure. So let's use that example is you come in and you are complaining of contractions, you know, I've been having contractions all day and you come in, you know, we check your cervix and your five centimeters dilated and we get you over to labor and delivery. Usually, usually 
you know, some of the things we do over in triage is we'll put you on the monitor and make sure that baby's doing okay. And you can, you know, watch your contraction pattern for a little while. And then we'll put an IV in, in you and draw some, some blood. And usually we keep um, IVs in moms, but we just, uh, it's called like a saline lock. So, um, you know, you don't need to be on IV fluids unless there's some kind of medical indication, but we at least have a, you know, an IV in you and we get out to labor and delivery. And then it's just kind of, okay, you know, let's use this time to figure out what you want to do for pain. Do we want to just keep, um, you know, not doing anything and let's, keep doing some positions. Here's a birth ball we can try. Here's the squat bar. Do you want to get in the shower to relieve your pain? Um, In terms of monitoring too, that's also a conversation like, okay, do we not have any risk factors and we can just kind of do intermittent auscultation, you know, for the the baby's heart rate. Um, And we just, you know, kind of keep doing that. And it's just about support. Yeah, it's it's about what what you deem, you know, necessary to to manage your labor, right? So if you're not planning on getting an epidural, then we'll stay in there and we'll help you manage your pain in whatever ways feel comfortable for you. I already named some like, you know, we can do lots of different positions. We um, you know, we can coach you on a lot of breathing uh techniques, we can get in the shower or if your your hospital has a tub, we can, you know, get in the tub. Um, and then we just kind of, you know, it, it's, it's really where you think sometimes people think it's like, we're the leaders, but it's really more, you're the kind of leader and we're, we're mm-hmm. following your lead. Like if you are wanting an epidural, okay, then we'll, then we'll go and get an epidural. If you're not then, okay, like, let's just keep managing what's going on until we need to change something. Right. Um, and that goes for cervical checks too. A lot of people say like, how often do you do cervical checks? And it obviously depends on the practice, right? But a lot of times, you know, if if a cervical check is going to change something about your plan of care, then it's it's recommended to do one, right? So like if you were about to get an epidural or or IV pain medication, for example, well, that's a good example. So if you were like, I am in a lot of pain and I am just, I've been having contractions all day and oh my gosh, like a you know, I'm, it's so much pain. Um, I want some IV pain med- medicine. I would probably recommend checking you beforehand before I give it to you just to make sure baby's not about to come out of you because, you know, the IV pain, pain medication that we give can be dangerous for baby if baby's like born too soon after giving it to you. So there's kind of that that uh, level, you know, if, if you're about to push your baby out, we can't, we can't give you pain medication. You just have to kind of push your baby out um, because it is a narcotic, you know, most of them are narcotics and they can have some respiratory issues afterwards. Sometimes not all of them do, but um, that's just kind of what we, you know, the guidelines that we follow. So that would be something that changes your plan of care, right? So we do a cervical check and if you're four or five centimeters, you're not really near the end, cool. We'll give you pain medication. If you, we check you and you're 10, you're about to push your baby out, changes your plan of care. We can't get your pain medication. We, you know, we got to deliver your baby. So that's kind of the way to look at it. Um, Then we, then we wait and see what happens. Right. I think it's important to like remind women like what you said, like they're in charge, like, yes, this yeah. is their body. Yeah. I mean, you're like the paying customer, right? <laughs> like it's not cheap to give birth. 
Um, this is your moment. And while there are certain things out of your control, like, I think it's important to also empower women to remind them that like, this is about them and their Mm -hmm. experience. Because I think so many of us, at least the first time you were kind of laying there and you feel kind of helpless, you feel powerless. Like it feels like everything is out of your control and that maybe decisions are made, you know, obviously you guys have to like ask us what we want, but I don't know. I think I'm sure a lot of women feel kind of powerless when they're in that very vulnerable position of laying in that hospital bed. Yeah, no, totally. I know we have a whole section in the birth courses about advocacy and how important that is to know how to advocate for yourself and the importance of it, because you're exactly right. It's, you know, you're not, you're not a pawn in all of this. You're a member of this team. Okay. And we're here to support you. And really at the end of the day, um, you can refuse anything that your provider, you know, suggests it's, it's not like, you know, your provider comes and says, you have to, you know, I'm going to break your water now and we're going to do this. No, it's, it's your choice. All of these things are, you know, your choice. You could get up and sign out against medical advice and go home. If you really want to, I wouldn't recommend doing that if you're like deep in labor, but really it is, you know, it's a lot of people don't realize that you do have all of these choices and it's important to be informed. You know, when we talk about informed consent about certain procedures or how, you know, just how things are going to go in general. Because um, I remember when I was like first uh, draft of, of my courses, I had a girl, one of my good friends who she doesn't have any kids and she was just helping me. And she like went through some of the videos and she was like, I didn't realize that you actually do. You don't have to just go along with what people are telling you to do. Like, I actually do have the choice in like a lot of this. And she's like, I just didn't realize that. So it's, and I think a lot of people feel the same way, you know? Um, So that's really the power of education. And that's what we're all about here at Mommy Labor Nurse. But yeah, advocacy is extra, extra important. And if you don't know, you know, how to, how to advocate for yourself or what to do. Um, we can help you. And I have a lot of, a lot of stuff on my page about that. Uh, and we can help you get, you know, a little bit more comfortable with being able to speak up or, or advocate for yourself. Cause I think a lot of people struggle with that too. Just not, yeah, not feeling empowered to actually say what they want. You're in such a vulnerable position, like mm-hmm. literally, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, people mm-hmm. are just, going up your vagina like things that you're not used to and it's it is very vulnerable um and it can be uncomfortable but okay so then that kind of makes me want to talk about another topic and if this is not something you want to talk about I can completely cut this portion yeah yeah but like so I I hear more and more about the whole like c-section issue of like maybe c-sections are pushed more than they need to be for whatever reason like like doctors get paid more for C-sections, right? Because it's a mm-hmm. serious, you know, surgery or whatever it may be. So yeah, is that, do you like, is that really a thing where like, if labor is just happens to be taking too long that they're like, well, let's just do this to like wrap this up because we need yeah. more hospital rooms. Like, is yeah. that, it's really unfortunate that it does happen. I'm not saying that it's like that everywhere, but there are certain providers that still practice like that really with the intention um, behind like, like they're, for instance, like if they're on call for, you know, they're doing a 24 hour shift and they have a patient in labor, I've definitely 
not seen because I don't work with with providers who would really pull this, but I've heard you know stories from other the other nurses who say, yeah, they kind of do it for their own convenience. You know, they'll kind of just stop working as hard to kind of get this mom to have a vaginal delivery and say, mm, let's just call it. She's she's probably not going to have a vaginal delivery. Let's just call a C section. Um, so it's really more of a convenience thing, and that you know, it doesn't happen everywhere. I would argue that we're getting way more away from that. Um, and C-section rates, I think it's, that's, that's not the root that that's definitely not okay. And we don't need to be doing C-sections just for, you know, the doctor's yeah. convenience or for financial reasons or whatever. I w- I've never heard anybody admit that they that they would rather do a C-section versus a vaginal delivery because they want to get paid more money. I mean, if you think that, then you better keep it in your head. Cause like, that's yeah. pretty, that's pretty not yes. nice. Right. Agreed. Um, yeah, but I think that's, you know, that's a little bit part of it. Right. But we're, we're trying to get away from that. I think the high C-section rate is, um, you know, we do a lot of interventions in labor and we, we almost like think, put, put our hands on a lot in the pot. Right. And I think if we're start we, if we start kind of peeling back some things um, and leaving women alone more to kind of decide. And this brings a whole advocacy, you know, piece back. We're leaving women alone to decide and educating them on what we recommend, but ultimately giving them informed consent. Um, We will see that, you know, things are trending down. Obviously, you know, there are C-sections we can't prevent, right? But we're all in this for um, preventing the emergency ones or the unplanned ones that, you know, that we really could prevent. But yeah, it's a touchy, it's a touchy subject, obviously, because we do have a pretty high C-section rate here in the U.S. It's like 32 or 33%, which is, which is pretty darn high. And yeah, yeah, I think there's, I think that's a key part is, is, the amount of interventions that we do that are just seem routine, you know, to medical staff, but there's a lot more, a lot more factors into it. So. Yeah. So well, I was just curious. So I thought yeah. I would ask and I felt like it went yeah. well with the advocacy. Oh yeah. Um, and that also want, makes me want to bring up like so many women say that, you know, they didn't opt to have a C-section and yeah. they hear comments from other women like, oh, well you had a C-section. You took the easy way out of childbirth. Ugh. And those comments are awful. Like how can you, I mean, this is like a serious surgery was like seven layers deep of an incision, longer recovery that it's just crazy to me to hear things like that. But so when, and I, and I'm asking this because the majority of my personal friends ended up in an emergency C-section for whatever reason. So Mm -hmm. I know it all happens really fast from when they decide like, you know, we can't keep doing this vaginally. Is there any advice you can give moms like when you hear that news? Yeah. Like you're like, we recommend having a C-section right now kind of kind of thing. Yeah. It's tough because what I like to, um, I guess let, let the, the public or, you know, let patients know that uh, regarding C-sections is usually when we're trending, first of all, usually when we're trending towards a C-section, you know, you, you are going to, you know, maybe it's on the table. Um, that's just it. It's, it's kind of on the table and you're already, we're already kind of talking about it a little bit. Maybe your baby's 
heart rate isn't looking as good. And we've had to do some interventions like turning you around, giving medications to um, help resuscitate, you know, baby and get the heart rate back up or something medically is going on with you. So it's just kind of in the talks. So it's not, um, so let's like, you know, bust that myth that it's not like very often that things are going just fine, just dandy, right? Like, you know, everybody's, you're having contractions, you're in labor. And then all of a sudden we're like, you're going to have a C-section, you yeah. know, all of a sudden it's usually like, okay, we, something's been unstable or yeah, you've been in labor for a really long time and you've gotten stuck for like six hours or some obscene time. And you're like, okay, this is looking a little bit more likely. It's usually not like a train just hit me in the face and I'm having a C-section. Now it can be, we have patients, you know, sometimes that does happen. It's, it's, I would say it's more rare, or we'll have patients come in and they're bleeding or something and they have to get just into the OR really, really quick. But again, that's pretty rare. But yeah, I think it's I think it's more about like there's so much shame around C-sections in general. So I think a lot of moms feel, especially if they are in labor, for instance, and they've kind of like stalled out or they've been pushing forever and they have to have a C-section for one of those reasons, they feel like their body has failed them. And it's just this awful, awful feeling like I tried so hard and we have to do this alternative. And I wish I could just give all of those moms a hug because that is not it at all. Like, like you just said often. Yeah. My body failed me. Yeah, I know. And it's so awful to think that because like, you're, you're almost discounting, like it's totally okay to feel that now it's, it's makes me sad. Um, but you're totally discounting that, like your body just took nine months to grow this baby. And by saying like having that mentality of like, my body failed me because I was in labor for so long and now I have a C-section. It's like, no, it, things happen and things change. And look, your body did not fail you. Your body grew this, this baby. And now your baby's here. And yeah, guess what? Sometimes things happen. Babies, you know, drop their heart rates or sometimes babies in there, you know, not quite right. It's not coming down. It's not your fault at all. I think a lot of people think that it's like, it's my fault. I could have done something different. And yeah, my body failed me that whole mentality, but it's, yeah, I try to remind moms that like, it's not about failing look at what your body has done. This is a change that is not your fault at all. And it's, yeah, it's unfortunate. I I always recommend if you're coming out of your birth, whether it's because of that, you had an unplanned C-section or you had any sort of traumatic event happen that you deem traumatic, um, get with a, a therapist afterwards, talk to people about this, because I think that's another big issue that people have is they keep these feelings in, or they, you know, and they just feel that they can just carry that with them for so long. And it's just, it's not doing any good. We need to talk that stuff out, you know? No. no. Okay. Well, yeah. so this was really good to hear that. It's not like from one minute to the next, like you are you yes. have a little bit of time to like mentally process, like, okay, this is a possibility. So that's correct. Like, I correct. had, I gave birth vaginally. So I, I don't really yeah. know the play by play of this. Yeah. Um, And then that's the other thing what you said is like, my body has failed me. I hear that all the time. And then I also hear about breastfeeding, like my body has right. failed me because like, right. I don't produce enough or this doesn't work. And we have to ditch that F word, the yes. failure from our vocabulary as moms, because no, we're not failing in any way. There are so many things out of our control. Yeah. 
And we have to stop comparing our births to other women's births, our breastfeeding journey, our postpartum journey, our child's developmental milestones, like all of that. We just have to stop comparing. Totally agree. Yeah. I think it's also a societal thing too, that just for instance, I remember, um, peanut, it's a, it's a app that, um, you can like, Mm -hmm. can I, I think you probably know what peanut is. They have a, they have a big Instagram page and they did this, um, campaign. I think it was last year, maybe the year before where they talked about getting rid of like certain more negative, um, terms like medical terminology, like failure to progress, like having a C-section failure to descend, like all of these words that are just kind of thrown around, whether it be in the birth room or, you know, during pregnancy. And it's like, why are we even calling it? Like, it's not failure to like, why are we saying failure? You know, like, can it, can it be called something else? Um, so I think it's a lot of that too. If you like take a step back and it's like, wait a second, it's, it might be a little bit bigger than just me in my head. It's like, just, you know, I'm hearing these words around me and I'm hearing other people talk about how they feel like failures. And then it's like, it, it's just, it's a little bit bigger. So I think that's important to say that it's, it's a societal thing too. It's not, it's not just, you know, not that it's your fault that you feel this way, but it's not just work that you can do. It's also, there's a lot of societal factors in play. Yeah, I definitely agree. And the thing you said about therapy is great. I always recommend to have a therapy session scheduled for three or four weeks postpartum because if you don't already have one, like it takes so long to get in with one, it can take over a month. So if you're in a bad place, like with your postpartum mental health, or you have experienced birth trauma or whatever it is, like, it's nice to have that lined up. Like, even if you just go to that one session, or even if you cancel it, like, right, it's such a transition going into motherhood that it's not a bad idea to talk about it with someone for an hour, you know, not a bad idea at all. And then I also want to say, so I want to say this in a way that doesn't make moms that did have to have a C-section feel bad. But I also just, I don't want birth to just feel like this negative experience either as we're having this conversation. So I do want to say that like birth can be very beautiful. It can be very empowering. Obviously it can be very scary as well, but my birth experience, while it was very painful, I'm pretty sure my epidural didn't work, but it was the most empowering, liberating, badass moment of my life to, Mm -hmm. to know that I did that. Yeah. So it's all, it can also be really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. It's all in the way you look at things and the mindset that you take away from it. And that's what we're trying to, trying to change, uh, at mommy labor nurse is like how you come away from your birth. It's, it's really, it makes a difference if you are, are coming away from it, looking at it as a positive experience. Um, you know, even if you had birth trauma, it's like, what can we look at? What can we look at this and take away? You know, maybe it's, you know, you're thinking about a lesson that you learned during this experience. Um, because yeah, you birth trauma, it, it can follow you for your whole motherhood journey and, you know, un- arguably like your whole life, it can affect you. So yeah, any ounce of positivity and just mindset shifts that we yeah. need to, we need to be doing more of that, like as a, as a society, you know, as Agreed. humans. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's also hard because I feel like 
it's hard to talk about these positive birth moments and experiences online because then it looks like you're doing the rainbows and butterflies thing and people want honest, real and raw moments. So like, I've been nervous to go on there and say like, birth is empowering because I know so many women are going to comment and say like, it wasn't empowering for me, you know? And yeah, Yeah. but it's like, I want to show both sides of it, you know? I know. Yeah, I know. And then it got, and then it goes back to like, okay, I guess the answer is just not caring what people, what people say and think. And I mean, I'm at fault for that too. Like, I don't want to, I I definitely censor myself, you know, for in certain posts and stuff, but it's like, yeah, like, I guess it really is more about telling my story and telling how I feel. And if there are certain people that are going to comment or say things, then, you know, so be it. But there, I think, I think it, Silence also speaks volumes too. Like there are a lot of people that look at a post, for instance, like a post that you would put up um, about how empowered you were about your birth. And we're seeing a lot of the negative, right? We're seeing like these comments, but we're not seeing all of these people that just looked at it and in their head, they were like, wow, that's really cool. But maybe they didn't comment. Maybe they didn't even like it. Maybe they didn't even, you know, but Mm -hmm. it's still this positive impact. So it gets, uh, yeah, a lot of this stuff gets overshadowed by negativity so often, especially on social media, on the internet, you know, but it's, it's tough because you still want, you still want to tell your story at, you know, at the end of it. Yep. Okay. So I guess one more question I want to get into is, what to expect after you give birth when it comes to breastfeeding or formula. I hear a lot of that too, that like certain hospitals are like kind of shaming moms into if they do decide they'd rather do formula right away at the hospital. So I don't know if you can speak to that a little bit. Yeah, I would say it's unfortunate. Yeah. That nowadays we do have a lot more, we call baby friendly hospitals where we're not encouraging formula we are like talking to you about all the benefits of breastfeeding and how great it is and doing, you know, encouraging room, you know, rooming in with moms and, you know, babies to stay with moms, which is all great things. You know, we, we, this is good, but there's kind of this issue sometimes that comes about if mom is either formula feeding or they're just you know, maybe, maybe they did kind of have a little bit of a traumatic experience and they are just, you know, they need some time away from their baby for a little bit. And it's like stuff like that gets shamed so often at, um, these baby friendly hospitals. And it's, it's really unfortunate because it kind of falls back on us. You know, there's only, there's only so much that you can, you can kind of guard yourself with your feelings, right? It comes back on us to look at it like, okay, some people are going to breastfeed and, and follow everything that we're saying and all the recommendations and blah, 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 blah. But some people want a formula feed and it's really, oftentimes it's none of our business, like why they want a formula feed. And it's more about just supporting them in that journey, you know? So it's, yeah, it, it's tough. I, I really feel for moms who, who come in and they, they want a formula feed from the start and they feel that way that they've been treated by nurses or lactation or whatever, because it's like, it goes back to shame. Like then, then we're kind of planting that seed of like formula is this like bad thing that you, that you can't do, um, right from the beginning. And 
Yeah, it it sucks. I love following. There's a good page. I don't know if you follow her, but the Mallory from the Formula Mom. She's a good page mm-hmm. on Instagram. And she does all she busts a lot of this draw, like talk in your head about yeah. hey, like, yes, breastfeeding is great. It's great. You know, and if you can breastfeed, great. But also like here's some information about formula and what you need to know and how to support you. Because yeah, oftentimes we think like breastfeeding support, we we need more breastfeeding support, like support moms who breastfeed. And that's a hundred percent true. Right. Um, but we're not, we're not ever saying like, let's support our formula moms. You know, that gets kind of just, mm-hmm. if you formula feed, you don't need any support. Like you just, you just formula feed, but these moms are, are feeling really alone, you know, cause maybe, yeah. Maybe like, like you said, like, he, like they start off breastfeeding and then it didn't work out and they are formula feeding now and they just don't have any idea what they're doing. And they have all these feelings of like, I failed as a, you know, I was trying to breastfeed. So yeah, we really need to just go back to, we need to support our moms regardless of what they want to do with their baby or how, you know, they want to get an epidural or they want to go natural or whatever. Like just let's yeah. just support each other. Okay. <laughs> yes. It's crazy so, how much yeah. judgment and shame yeah. there is around birth and and like the way that you feed your baby and I how know. after just two or three days at the hospital you can already leave feeling like a quote-unquote failure yeah it's just yep. wild it is it is oh okay I know I need to wrap up here in a couple of minutes I do you've posted some funny things about like some of the craziest things that you've seen as a labor and delivery nurse and the one yeah. that I love always the most is when you talk about people's mother-in-laws yeah. um what do you say to a mom that can't stand her mother-in-law and the mother-in-law is or even her mom pushing boundaries and wants to be in the room like what do you yeah. think yeah. Like go right. <laughs> like scene. Um, no, I had this, I had this reel that I put out. I don't, I think it was last year sometime. And it was this trend going around where you were blinking by communicating with mm-hmm. like, you know, the other person. And it was, it's funny how sometimes I kind of do that with my patients. Like usually if there's a situation like this, like, let's say, it's a mother-in-law or a mother or a sister or somebody where the patient's like, she's going to show up. They're going to come in and they're going to be here. But like, I really just don't want them in here. I really, you know, just want to kind of say hi. And then they, then they go away. I try to have these conversations, you know, before these people get here, right. That's ideal. And we try to maybe have like a code word, right? Like it's hamburger or like, (laughs) you know, orange jello or something. Like I think that was the, that's what I, what I put in that reel. Like, I think it was, what was it? Cranberry juice or something. I don't know. Oh, pineapple juice. That's what it was. <laughs> I was like trying to ask the mom, like, do you want some pineapple juice right now? Cause that was our code word. And she's like, or, or no, 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 it was her. Sorry. I'm thinking of, I'm see, I'm, I'm the patient in it and I'm the nurse. So I get confused. <laughs> Who's the one talking, but then, but the patient was like, you know, can I get some pineapple juice? And the, the funny part about it was like, I was the other nurse coming on shift and the other nurse didn't tell me what the code work it was. So I'm like, we don't have pineapple juice. Like, what are you talking about? And then finally it's like, oh, that means that this person in here is supposed to leave. Got it. Okay. But yeah, that does happen. Like it's not, I didn't just make that up. Like that's yeah. that, like that stuff does happen where we kind of just have to be the bad guy, but it's, I don't mind being the bad guy. I I like being the bad guy because I'm supporting my patient um, by, you know, getting whoever is the negative energy to leave the room so we can have more positive energy in this room. Um, So sometimes what we do is we say, 
okay, um, you know, our, our, actually, you know what? I don't know if anybody's brought it, brought it up to you, but our visitor policy is this, that, and the other. And we're going to have to go let, you know, have you go out to the waiting room now. We'll call you if anything changes, blah, 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 blah. Um, I, I've, kicked people out because we're about to um, get an epidural and you're, you know, you're supposed to have this visitors leave for that anyway, usually. Um, but then instead of saying like, you can come right, right back in, we'll be like, you know what? Once moms get epidurals, it's, it's a lot more, there's a lot more going on. We really, really try to limit people in the room and it's really, really best if you stay out, in the, you know? So it's like, we really try to, and I mean, yeah, I mean, like, have we had to call security a couple times? Yeah. It, you know, we don't like to do that, but it usually gets to where like we kind of threaten to call security if it really gets heated. <laughs> um, but we don't actually have to, but we have had to a few times. But yeah, we kind of, we kind of, you know, I'll play nice with you. I'll, I'll explain, you know, kind of the situation you need to leave. If you're arguing with me, then I'll kind of step my charge nurse will come in and like, we'll talk to you and explain to you like, okay, we were going to need you to leave now. And then if you're still, you know, kind of pushing back, we're like, do we need to call security to remove this? I'm trying to move you like, because we can, you know, and they usually go so after funny. that. <laughs> yeah. That's really funny, but no, you're so right. Like, you need positive energy in there when yeah. you're about to bring another life yeah. into this world, you know? And like, yeah. it's a very private thing it like is. for my husband and I, it was like such a, I don't want to use the word romantic because you know, intimate, it's an intimate. So intimate. It was, yeah. it was the most intimate, beautiful moment that we've shared. Honestly. Yeah. 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 It should be like that. It should yeah. be like that. Yeah. Well, this, I think this was really helpful. Um, I'm going to, for anyone listening, I will link up my hospital bag checklist. I will link up your birth plan checklist cool. as well as your birth classes and yeah. where they can find you on Instagram and your blog. Is there anything else that you want to mention about your birth classes or any other resources that you have? Yeah. So you can find me over at mommy labor nurse um, on it's mommy dot labor nurse actually on Instagram and TikTok. And then our online courses are at the at our website, mommylabornurse.com. We've got the natural series, the epidural series, and the C-section series. We're all about tailored birth education and kind of choosing, you know, the, the class that in your head makes the most sense. You know, we don't we don't like general out. I can't say that word, but general generalization. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> it's a mouthful. Um, but we want to really help you, you know, achieve the birth that you envision, right? So yeah, we have the birth classes over at mommylabornurse.com. And I also have the podcast too. I'm also a fellow podcaster. So it's just the mommy labor nurse podcast, wherever, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Perfect. I will link all of that. And thank you for all that you do and for all of this great insight. Yeah. Thanks so much. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share it with your friends. Thank you for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in. For more, follow along on Instagram at mybestmomfriend. I'll see you again next time.